Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Ignorant Conversations podcast, a casual discussion between two friends about different types of books we read every week. Uh, I'm your co-host, Daoud, and uh, my friend here is Mobin. And this week, we're going to talk about a book written by the former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright. It's called Fascism, A Warning. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it that much, honestly. <laughs> so how come? Did you not like the book? The person who's written it? Oh, no. I, I Honestly, I didn't know much about her anyway. So I, I had no kind of, you know, bias against her or for her policies or politics. I don't, I don't know anything about her that much. I liked the first half of the book where she's discussing what fascism is. You know, how, how do you define it? How do you, you know, detect it? Different, like the fascists we had in history, such as Mussolini and Hitler and the modern types. And then the second half of the book, she just... Look, here's how I think about it. Let's say some guy's racist or fascist, okay? And you want to change his mind. How do you go about changing his mind, in your opinion? I mean, for racism, you got to see where it really stems from. It could stem from, uh, you know, insecurities. Or it could stem from, let's say, you know, that's just how those people have been brought up and they don't have access to people from other cultures or other races and that, you know, creates this fear of the other. Mm -hmm. uh, something along those lines, I guess, for racism. Okay, and you know, racism and fascism can be pretty closely linked, especially in uh, today's world, which I'm going to be discussing in a bit. But all right, so let's say we have a bunch of people who are not exposed to people from other races, other cultures, other ethnicities, etc., etc. So they're just afraid of the unknown. So how do you tell these people that without insulting them, whether how they're thinking is wrong? I mean, it's, it's you yeah. can just shout them out. I mean, it's like. For example, you know how like uh, somebody, you know, some like celebrity or, you know, some kind of high profile case you see on, on social media or just media in general, some guy's fired for being racist or making a racist uh, comment. He's fired or her, she's fired from her job. I mean, all yeah. you've done is just fired a racist guy who's probably now even more racist. He's more hateful because he's, he or she has lost her, his or her, her job. You haven't really fixed the issue. It also, but it also sends a message sort of like it's necessary to send a message to everyone that this is something that's not acceptable. It is. You're sending a message, but all you're doing is just firing racists. They, they, they're going to lose their job and they're just more likely to band together now. A bunch of guys who you lost think their so? jobs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, isn't that kind of uh, evident from just looking at politics all over the world? Look at, let's say, no. uh, U United States now. People are talking about... Um, southern way of thinking or the southern culture how about you you want to they want to preserve a certain way of life and blah 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 blah. but yeah perhaps what they're saying is not entirely racist in its nature even though the history has a you know very racist past but they just feel they feel like that because they feel like their way of living is is slowly being taken away right it's being replaced by a different kind of living and they don't want that See, so they they vote for like Donald Trump, right? So you're saying that even if people are overtly or, you know, covertly racist, just sort of like firing them or taking that sort of actions against them might, you know, it will send a message that you know, racism is not acceptable, but it doesn't necessarily solve the actual problem. For that, you need to be able to showcase or like indicate to people like this isn't necessarily an attack on them. You know, because people take it personally, but rather Definitely. an attack on like racist ideology. And yeah. we need to explain why racist ideology is not acceptable, yeah. though you would you, think you, that in you, this day and age, 
that's something that you don't need to do, that it would be self-evident. It comes from a lack of education regarding something, right? It's a lack of knowledge. Yeah. So you taking away their uh, source of livelihood, which is their work, is not going to give them any knowledge. Right. right? You're saying that, that essentially, you're saying that the pushback against racism is linked to fascism in the current day and age? I think so. Okay. Could you elaborate based on what you read? So going back to the book for a second, she discussed the roots, the, the beginning of fascism and the first fascist uh, in history who used the word. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could say, you know, Julius Caesar was a fascist, but I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous statement because, he, I mean, sure, he was an authoritarian ruler and stuff, but <laughs> he was a fascist as opposed to what, right? Right. Fascism is a, is a term that came about in the 20th century. And it was coined by um, Mussolini from the word fasciare, I guess, which is um, an old word used in the Roman Empire, uh, meaning uh, it's like a bundle of sticks that could be used, you know, uh, tied together and form an axe. That's the original meaning of the word fasciare. Wow, okay. That sounds yeah, so pretty violent. Right? Because it, it represents the whole idea of fascism pretty well. Right. I mean, all of us together, we, uh, Mussolini was basically saying, you know, we need to retain the past glories of, of the Roman Empire. Uh, the people must be strong and blah, 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 blah. Because, you, you know, many people don't think about it, but there was a big uh, risk of communism being spread across Italy. Right. Yeah. And basically Mussolini's ideas was just a backlash against that. And that, that, obviously won because he became the leader and he talked about how you want to, you know, uh, the people's past were so much better. They had better lives. Everybody was just like a glorious hero. And, you know, we're going to retain that. We're going to retain the empire. And he did that by, you know, attacking Ethiopia, I think. And then eventually he also tried attacking Greece, which <laughs> was the biggest mistake for him. Well, I guess that's a good thing. Right. Fascism is mainly centered around people, like populism, and which we had a discussion before the podcast. Populism is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because you could do things for the people. You could be a politician, talk about the people, and talk about what, what they can do for themselves and what you can do for them without being fascist. So fascism right. is basically a populist and extreme form of authoritarian rule. That's what okay. fascism is. And she seems and, to agree on And the purpose that. is, like, in fascism, essentially, the whoever the authoritarian ruler is, they want to... They show you dreams, or like they reference a glorious past, something that they wish to return to. You know, they seek more power, and they act like a populist ruler in that sense. And they, they sort of, like, stir up people's emotions, you know, bring these... Exactly. evoke these emotions regarding the past and where you want yeah. to return to. And they claim that the only way to do that is by having an unfettered power. Is that, is that correct? That's exactly right. So you, could, okay. you look at the uh, Nazi regime, right? Yeah. The only, the only way you can retain Germany's past glory, because you know Germany lost World War I, really wasn't a bad situation after World War I. So Hitler, Hitler was saying, no, this is not... The, the, the German way of living, we gotta, you know, we gotta take back what's ours and we gotta maintain our superiority 
evident superiority uh, over others. And the only way we can do so is by, you know, putting all power into one place. We cannot have all these guys bickering over nothing. And, you know, democracy just leads to like a standstill, like a political standstill, because one guy wants something, the other guy wants something else. So nothing's being done, right? Right. And that's where, like, the theory comes from that, you know, had there not been such crippling sanctions on Germany and so much humili- humiliation of the German state, then there might we might have been able to prevent World War Two. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so that's basically fascism, and that's the two examples of um, classic fascists. So that's the beginning of the book, and also she discusses some other people, but you know, for the sake of maintaining time, we're just gonna you know gloss over some of them. And we're going to move on to the modern ones. So she discussed plenty of um, modern-day fascists. But pinnacle, the epitome of a modern fascist is probably Putin, Russia's Putin. Right. I mean, he's the guy that, even on a, on a global scale, all the other wannabe fascists look up to him, right? <laughs> they all become friends with him. They all yeah. maintain a relationship with Russia, military relationship. I mean, if you look at the situation in syria or anywhere else like right now there's ukraine yeah if if there's more than one player in in a you know political situation such as syria and they're leaning towards the fascist side of things they're going to be friends with putin no matter what right no way they're going to go against him so the modern day fascist basically isn't as uh is doesn't openly discuss giving all the power to one party or one state, right? Because clearly that, that was the case in World War II. didn't work out, but then, you know, the, the well, I mean, it did work out, right? The communists were allies with the, you know, the allies were basically. Uh, yeah. They won, and then eventually uh, Soviet Union fell. So this whole idea of giving all the power to one state didn't work. So what they do is they just kind of hide their ideologies behind democratic practices, right? Right. Yes, we're going to have elections. Yes, you're going to have freedom of speech or press. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. And in the beginning, they might truly be democratic, but that's just temporary. It's, It's just enough democracy to get them in a position where they can start removing these things, like a free and fair election. So, for example, elections still happen in Russia. Are they fair? No, they're not. Yeah, that's the case. And in we're fact, talking. you know, Russia has this, uh, it has an MO. It's basically like, um, you know, this happened specifically during the pandemic. And even mm-hmm. recently I read about it. If there's anyone that goes against the state, they end up committing suicide by jumping out of the window. And it's just... Like, it's such an obvious thing that I'm surprised they don't change up the tactic, the intelligence agencies, because there were a couple of doctors that complained about, you know, that the pandemic spread really fast. We don't have enough protective, like, personal protective equipment. And, you know, Putin is undermining the threat. And he's claiming that it's just pneumonia or something along those lines, because, you know, clearly Russia is not in a good place economically or right. in any, you know, in anything positive. Yeah, maybe um, except the military, which is the classic. Yeah, that's true. And uh, it, 
well, they've talked about this and they raised awareness regarding this. And apparently they jumped out of the window and committed suicide. Uh, <laughs> and recently a, a police personnel complained about, reported his superior for corruption. And uh, he needed some fresh air too, apparently, because the next day he jumped out of the window and committed suicide. Oh, honestly, uh, so, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, because, you know, back in the day, man, you know, these guys would just, you know, commit suicide by stabbing themselves in the in the belly like 64 times. So yeah. I, I, you you I know, know the CIA's MO when they like they two shots to the back of the head and apparently that's suicide. Yeah, that's suicide. Yeah, the first one didn't work and he was like, ah shit. Let, let me try again. Uh. Yeah. Anything for the CIA. Anything yeah. for the CIA, man. You, know, you gotta that's make it true. Really clean. <laughs> uh we digress, but you, you you were talking about like how they like modern day fascists. Mm -hmm. They come under the guise of some sort of democratic principles. You know, exactly. they'll say they come into power and they say, "Yeah, we're going to uphold democratic principles." You know, the press is going to be free. There's not going not going to be any censorship. It's going to be a free and fair election. But slowly, as the years progress or as time progresses, they start taking away these freedoms and start, you know, going towards what they really wanted, which is an authoritarian rule. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's that's and basically. So how does my question, like I mentioned, you, uh, I remember you mentioned in the beginning, you said that the book talks about like what exactly is fascism, how we should define it, and also how to detect it. So I think, like, you know, everyone will be curious, and I'm curious as well. So when people come under the guise of democratic principles, we're all going to vote them in, let's say, you know, provided that they have the correct policies that we're interested in. But, you know, how do you detect beforehand that this is someone who has a tendency to turn into an authoritarian rule? This is something that has a tendency to, you know, switch towards fascism. Like, how do you detect that beforehand before either bringing them into power or like before it becomes too late? Is that something that the book talks about or you have an opinion on? Well, the book, you see, my one of the biggest problems I had with the book is it looks like it's heading towards I mean, it is asking the questions you just asked me very yeah. clearly, but she does not give a clear answer to any of these questions. So mm, she does okay. talk about how the book is called Fascism, A Warning. Okay, so a warning, you should give me a clear, <laughs> right? Like a very clear, almost bullet point you yeah. know, set of observations I, I, I can see and be like, okay, yeah, this guy's you know, a potential fascist. I should be careful. But right. it does not do that necessarily. So what it does is, yes, it does say things like, you know, you should be careful if a guy is like, you know, trying to limit your freedom of speech. But like, oh my God, like I couldn't figure that out by myself. And I think yeah, I mean, that's fairly to, obvious. <laughs> yeah, she, I, and I think she struggles to answer the question properly because it's very difficult if a guy is hiding behind the guise of democracy. It's very difficult to detect, right? That this guy is going to turn out to be, a, you know, like a douchebag later, in my opinion. The whole idea of democracy is, is that it works. Be, it has a, a check and balance system, right? You have one institution that prevents another institution from having too much power, and there's another institution right. from having that institution from having too much power, right? So you should always be focusing on these institutions. Make sure that there's a balance to them and make sure that you're not going to elect a person who potentially could topple the system's 
balance like towards mm. one side or the other. Is, is that something that is that your personal opinion, or is that, that is something my personal that, opinion? Mm, I agree with that in the sense that you know, if you have strong institutions, then those institutions will sort of like they have checks and balances in place. So if they're strong enough. Um, right. like even if the political party changes or if a new person comes into power, those institu- it, it'll take some time to unravel the workings of those institutions. And that exactly. time makes clear what this person's atten- intention is regarding them. Yeah. But how would you I, recommend, for example, like you and I are from developing countries? In some cases, like if you take some European states, even though in, you know the book you read talks about some European states also coming under fascist rule in the modern day and age but for developing mm-hmm. countries when you're sort of working to get those institutions set up you know and they're not necessarily in place like i just wanted your opinion how do you think one should go about detecting or like how we should prevent such uh fascist or such pers- authoritative personalities from coming into power because like if you take the philippines you know mm-hmm. uh i think duterto I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's clearly an authoritarian rule, yeah, ruler. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And he's getting these, you know, drug dealers or anyone else that's clear. Any like, if there's anyone in his opposition, he gets them killed in a police encounter. Yeah, um, just it reminds me of a a really good Dave Chappelle joke. You know, Dave Chappelle, yeah. the comedian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. So, like, the police would just kill a black guy. I mean, he was and like an innocent guy. On. Drop crack on him and just say he was a drug dealer. <laughs> That's basically his his entire yeah. policy is like that. Just kill him and just say he was a drug dealer, and it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, how, how do you like? How do you recommend that like the people of that country? How should they recognize that this is a person that has such tendencies, and this is a person who could have this, you know. Uh, do this much damage and then prevent that person from get, coming into power? Well, that's a good question, man. And it's a really difficult answer, especially, you know, you're asking a guy who basically doesn't know much, but I can try my best. And let's if, hear it. We can discuss it. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Well, all right. Look, all right, for, if we're talking about specifically electing a person, then yeah. we should be looking at. Maybe somewhere where, you know, presidents have a lot of power and not necessarily it's like a parliament where power is kind of divided between many people, right? That's fair. Because, in, I mean, in my opinion, if you're talking about a country that is trying to transition into a democracy, I think it's, it's a much better idea to have a parliament. It's a parliamentary system, not a presidential system. Right, because you yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right, you don't want to give all this power to one guy. You want to kind of so, divide it into many people. That's step one. You know, have a parliamentary yeah, system. The, have a parliamentary system. Don't allocate all you know executive power, you know, into the hands of one guy. Right, right. and then also maybe you know, I mean, I don't know if these countries because we're talking about countries that don't necessarily have the best institutions, but. Mm-hmm. I guess if we talk about in terms of like what makes it less likely for you to get an authoritarian power uh, person, you know, in the seat of power, it's if you have a parliamentary system that decreases the chances. And if you have a good judicial system, 
you know, or if you have good institutions, governmental institutions, that decreases the likelihood of something like this happening. Yeah. Would you, wouldn't you say that, well, the U.S. has a presidential system. So, I would say it has good institutions. Well, yes, it, look, it does. That's true. The problem with the U- United States is it's generally was, perhaps was considered, I can't even say, I can't say is anymore, like the forefront of, you know, democracy, right? This is how right. democracy should look like. And I don't think they fit that description necessarily anymore. Yes, they have great comparatively, but is it good enough to be labeled as what you can achieve as as a as close as you can get to a perfect democracy in today's world? I don't think so. I don't think they fit that description. I understand. Would you say then, like besides the thing where we talked about, have a parliamentary system? You know, have good institutions, have a good judicial system. To say that people should be hesitant of voting in somebody who has never been in office before. You would think that would be pretty obvious, right? I mean, in that sense, you know, like if, for example, Trump had been a senator or he'd run any sort of office, if he'd been a representative, you'd seen the things he'd passed his votes on. You would have a better understanding of, you know, where he lies on the political spectrum. What's he willing to do to get things done? And what are the kinds of things he's willing to get done? And if you had an understanding of that, you'd have a better knowledge of who this guy is. But, you know, then the other aspect is, for example, maybe like if your whole system is corrupt or if everything's messed up and you just can't find somebody. Like one of the reasons people voted him in was because he said, they said he was an outsider. You know, that just might be the way to go sometimes. So if you remove somebody who's never been in office before, you kind of limit the talent pool that you have for this. So, you know, where's the balance there? So, Well, yeah, two things about that. The first thing is about the when you said that if you elect a guy who's been in office before, then you can clearly look at you know his policies or what he, what has he been saying for the past years, and you can predict where he's going, right? And just to add to that, yeah, if he does suddenly decides to just completely change his changing to change his stance or just kind of you know <laughs> take a left turn somewhere, that's incredibly strange. You can always yeah. use whatever he was saying before against him, right? I mean, as, as opposed to if you have a guy who's never been into office and just starts saying weird stuff, you cannot use anything against him because he didn't have anything before. You, you cannot say, hey, why the hell are you talking about building walls all of a sudden? I thought you were a Democrat. You know, you, were, you liked immigrants. You know, yeah. why did you, you cannot say that. Secondly, when you talked about having a guy who's not been in office is kind of like an outsider perhaps that's the way yeah. to go honestly man like let's be honest you're talking about a presidential system where elections occur every four years and you cannot have a, a president serve yeah, that's more, more than two terms what do you expect is going to happen okay let's say this guy this outsider is going to come what is he going to do what what is he going to achieve for you that the other guys couldn't i mean the the issue with the United States, you could say perhaps was, I mean, it's an issue that happens frequently because of the way the system is. You have one guy who gets elected and he wants to implement certain policies or change certain things. In four years time or eight years time, he's going to have to leave. So the other guy yeah. who gets elected, he can just kind of start removing or changing whatever the other guy was doing. Yeah, dismantling everything he set up. Exactly. So you kind of, you know, you it's kind of like a political paralysis. You're you, you're not moving anywhere. So the people can get sort of like when with this. Obama came and he set up, 
you know, Medicare for all, Obamacare, and then Trump's like, all right, time to take this apart. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's the issue that a system like the USA system can have, which yeah, this is more difficult to happen in, in a parliamentary system, by the way. So, so you're saying you, to prevent fascism, you know, presidential system isn't the way to go. In my opinion, yes. I mean, yeah. in, in, in or especially if you're a country that is transitioning into democracy, having a presidential mm-hmm. system is in, taking a huge risk. My counter to that is you take, okay, you know, we obviously we all know that fascism is terrible. We've seen historical cases of it being terrible beyond proportions when you take Mussolini and Hitler in, into account. <laughs> When you take mm-hmm. current fascists like Putin, you, you take these into account and you see like clearly it has terrible implications for everyone except the fascist leader himself or herself and any cronies that they have within the party who are benefiting yeah. off this. Yeah. And they're utilizing people's emotions and people's fear of others, people's desire for something that might have actually never existed sometimes to take control and you know benefit off of this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, and I'm not specifically talking about fascists. I'm talking about, you know, authoritarian rulers okay. who actually did well for their countries. So, for example, we take South Korea and North Korea's example. So Kim Jong-un is terrible, terrible leader. Anyways, like he's a terrible leader. He's not done well. And it's called yeah. a hermit kingdom for a reason. And people starve there. And, you know, there's no formal economy there. It's like by all senses, it's mm-hmm. not doing well. We take South Korea, and South Korea's, you know, developed tremendously fast. It's, you know, it's a really strong economy in East Asia, and they're doing quite well for themselves, you know, and they've made some stellar companies. Now, but, mm-hmm. but for a long time, South Korea was under the control of a dictator. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I forget the time period of the time span it was there, but it was a quite a long time, and he sort of, like, put the emphasis on the industries and, you know, because when South Korea was made, he like they sort of pushed for this, and it helped really fast track the development. Because in some cases, you know, democracy does take time to sort of like make those decisions. Is this okay? You bypass it, you get the votes, and it's the same in Singapore. Singapore has had a one party system. I mean, like one party's mostly been in control for since the beginning, almost, and even now, like the most recent Singaporean election. You know, there was a sort of like an upset, but the upset was still like, for the most part, the same party won again. And Singapore's done phenomenally well for itself mm-hmm. as a tiny city-state. So there is exa- there are examples of authoritarian rulers, you know, actually having that success Definitely. and like really bypassing sort of like the, let's say, the stranglehold that democracy sometimes has on economic development. And they've done really well for themselves. So, like, how do you, like, do you think, I imagine a lot of times when people are willing to give power and freedom up is they're hoping to sort of emulate uh, the success of Singapore or South Korea or places like that. And what they don't realize is they end up getting the short end of the stick and they get something like Duterte or you get Putin or something along those lines. But would you say then that one should never be willing to give up that freedom or you know do your due diligence if it seems like this person giving him that freedom will actually you know bring that sort of economic success you should be willing to take that risk so you're bringing up a great point so let's let's look at south korea yeah so basically during that time period which you're referring to 
they were yeah. trying to implement this idea, uh, ISI, which is basically import substitution industrialization, right? Okay. And it's a fairly simple thing. It's the it's a the, the economic policy is you know basically saying whatever stuff you're importing, and let's say you're importing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, you want to start producing these things and export them, and you know right. fix that problem, boost your economy. Import substitution industrialization. South Korea wasn't the only country that was trying to do it. Uh, it was just the one that did it successfully. You can mm-hmm. also look at India and Turkey, who also were trying to implement ISI, but failed. Let's say you have a situation uh, where a let's say there's an upcoming election and one guy or one political party is trying to perhaps implement more authoritarian policies to kind of maybe boost the economy or something along those lines. And you want to know if it's a good idea to vote for him or not, right? Because as you said, it could really backfire or it could really work, as in the case of South Korea. Honestly, I would say you have to do your homework. Let's look at why South Korea succeeded and why India failed. If Mm -hmm. you study it and understand it, logically apply it to your own situation, and you can make an uh, you know an educated decision. This is my answer to the situation. I mean, I I cannot say never vote for it or always do this because you know there are cases in the world, like you said, with South Korea, Singapore, and, and plenty of other uh, Far Eastern countries where a brief term time period of authoritarian rule really benefited. But by the way, then they did transition into democracies with the case of South Korea. Right. This wasn't permanent. In, in, uh, yeah, yeah. So you could make the argument that, yes, definitely, a temporary term of authoritarian rule ha- could have a great, great positive impact on the economy, uh, mm-hmm. but not a long-term one. So I guess maybe I, even that's why... I mean, in these things, you know, there's such complicated situations that there's never a sort of rule book if there was, all the countries would be happy oh, yeah, and definitely. economically doing well, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I guess to summarize, you know, the way we see it is, okay, uh, a lot of, yeah, so preferably you want a parliamentary system, right? And mm-hmm. all you, one should always do their, do their due diligence regarding any person that they vote into power. Do your homework, you know, yeah. Do your homework, basically. One other thing to add. Uh, here's the thing with, with elections and, and politics, especially now with USA taking like the majority of space in, in you know, mainstream media, right? U.S. Yeah. elections, U.S. politics. Like, don't fall for the sensationalized politics, right? Yeah. yeah I absolutely. vote for Trump I... because Trump looks like a man I can have a drink with. Look, man, you're not going to have a drink with him. Trump is going to be in charge of like implementing <laughs> policies that's going to potentially, you know, bite you in the ass. So... Instead yeah. of focusing on the guy and what the guy is like and if you like him or not, no, like do your homework, man. Understand that when you're when you're voting, hopefully taking, you know, because you could have a vote that's completely useless, as in the case of like Russia, let's say. Yeah. You're taking part in a very complex situation. Do your homework. Understand that you're voting for not the person, but the per- how the that person is going to do a certain job, and what are they going to do? Yeah. What could they change? Right. And also it. whether that person is going to build up institutions that will be there for your protection mm. and the development of the country for a longer yeah. period of time. Like I think people have too short of a vision when they go out to vote. Hundred percent. That's one of the reasons, 100%. you know, the sense of happening. In fact, I think I don't know if websites like this exist in the states, but I think for every country, 
you know, when a person runs for elections, similar to how mm-hmm. we would declare, okay, this is the wealth of that person. In Pakistan, you declare your assets, like this is what I own. You know, these are the number of cars, gold, money, real estate that I own. I think at the mm-hmm. same time, if that representative representative has been in a position of power before, the, you, the track record for, you know, like these are the bills they voted on, they voted yes on, they voted no on, they abstained. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that sort of stuff should be available. Like when, when we apply for jobs, right, when you apply mm-hmm. to university for a master's degree, you put all your credentials out there. Right. And this is when you're paying them mostly to like, you're going to pay tuition, you're asking them, can I please join? And these are far less significant things than being (laughs) the president. You would think that they would, rather than just putting out words into media, you would think that you'd be able to see, okay, these are my tax returns. You know, these are the policies uh, that I voted for. These are the policies that I stand for, something more robust. Uh, But that's not the case. And I think that that's something that. Well, that's definitely not the case. And and if I may take a, you know, cynical stance on this, rather cynical It will never be the case. (laughs) No, not never be the case. I'm saying it is the case because the people don't look for it. Yeah. I mean, if everybody's like, all right, before I'm going to vote for anybody, I want to see all of their credentials. I want to understand it, see it, analyze it. I want to be educated enough to understand what's going on. Like you just hit like the 18-year-old mark and suddenly you can vote even if you don't know anything about it. No, I, yeah. I want to see it. I want to understand it. But they, nobody nobody wants to look for it. The majority of people so, don't really care. They can vote and they vote and they don't do anything about it. So why should they show them anything? So would you say that fascism or authoritarian rule is not just a failing of the political system and the political institutions? But it's necessarily also a failing of the populace itself. So you well, can't necessarily blame always like, you know, oh, damn, you know, this is just how it is. This is how the country <laughs> is. You know, everybody's corrupt. But in fact, it's also like, well, if you've done all your due diligence, you'd really see the negative effects of this. Or maybe if you'd be willing to not be fearful of the others and also go meet people and like, mm-hmm. you know, enhance yourself and really do your homework, then maybe we wouldn't have all voted in this, you know, guy who's going to ruin life right. for us. Well, yes, you bring up, again, you bring up a great point, but as, as it is often the case with politics, everything is just so middle ground. Well, it is not, right. I, I cannot put the blame on the people because first I would have to look at why are they in that situation in the first but place. But isn't there I mean, that old adage that says a leader is only representative of its people. All right, look. So like, yes. Trump is like a, is a terrible person, right? And uh, like some people, obviously, you know, re- Republicans, let's say, or like CEOs vote for him because they know mm-hmm. they're going to remove, he's going to remove some tax limits, like he's going to make them more money or mm-hmm. the lobbyists, you know, put him in power. Some people right. just like that guy. So, you know, like, but some aspects of who Trump is, you know, those some of those aspects should be representative in his base because they essentially voted that man into power. So, like, I get that it's not necessarily their fault, in your opinion, but I think a sizable percentage, like, some of it is their fault, you know? All right, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I will look at, if, if I, again, this is not necessarily, you know, written in, in stone or for me personally, but if I had to make a coherent statement, right, a kind of rule for myself, which is I don't have, but let's say I do. 
Yeah. I would look at a country and I would look at their education system. I would look at the resources they have. Um, what are the chances of people getting education, learning things? You know, are, do they have public libraries? Do they have access to information they want to have? Uh, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Basically, the, the epistemological state of a country. And if I see that it is in a, actually in a good state, but the people are choosing to remain ignorant and so vote for, you know, let's say not really great people, let's say vote for a Donald Trump, then yes, I can say, you guys suck. This is what you deserve, <laughs> right? You had the you, chance. You know what? To, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you had the chance to, you have everything and you're, deci- you're deciding to, to remain ignorant. So I do blame you. I, it's like, it reminds me of another comedian, uh, George Carlin. He was saying, yeah, I'm not going to blame the politicians. It's, it's, I blame the people. It's like garbage in, garbage out. The people suck, so the politicians suck. I agree with that statement if, you know, the country is in a state where, where the people can have access to all the information in the world, right? Like, like the USA. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that's valid points all around. To be honest, I really like this. I know we mostly just took, let's say, the book's title and we had this conversation, but this, this one was quite interesting. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the, the, I just want, I want to, I wanted to ask two questions. One, you know, the information you shared regarding ISI, import substitution, industrialization, is that yeah. something that you read up in the book or is that something that you know from no, elsewhere? No, it's not in the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was considering reading the book then. Uh, no, but I guess. The book. <laughs> okay, then oh, my other question is, a, does the book mention or are you aware of any female fascist leaders? Any female fascist leaders? No. Mm, that's the, odd. I wonder why that's the case. Is that just yeah. because they're more, there's already a gender imbalance in terms of politicians, the male to female ratio? And yeah. that's just, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. That's definitely, I mean, think of how many, uh, historically speaking, and also just talking about the current world today the ratio of male to female leaders, whether it's in a parliament or a president. Yeah, that's true. So I guess yeah. it's only a guys. consequence <laughs> of that. Yeah, you have you, your probability of having more, uh, you know, male fascists is higher if you have more male, you know, characters, right? Right. And mm-hmm. um, so I think, uh, you know, as always, when we reach the end, the question is, how much would you rate this book out of time, out of 10? All right, here's what I'm going to do. First half of this book is great as far as general knowledge is concerned. You can learn not a great deal, but you can learn, you know, it's like a good introduction to fascism, fascist rulers, what they do, what they say. The second half of this book, she just basically talks about her own opinions and and she relates it to Donald Trump, which is fine. But I mean, look, if you're going to try to explain fascism to a fascist and tell them that fascism is wrong, you're going to want to leave your own opinions out of it, honestly. You're going you're gonna to walk their road and take them out of it, walk them out of it. You can't just, like, slap them out of it. You can't just say, ah, oh, you're wrong, man, or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, look, yeah. they, look they, they can read about Hitler. They can read about Mussolini. They have the internet, right? And they still decided to be fascists. So just saying that, hey, man, look, these guys, these guys are bad guys. is not going to do it. I want to put some more effort into it. So if you're going to write a book and call it Fascism, a warning, Better give a pretty good damn warning and, and you know, make it very clear. And <laughs> Right. So I think I'm going to give it a four. I feel like a light four out of ten. Four out of ten? Yeah. Well, that's the lowest we've scored anything. But, yeah. I mean, that's fair. 
yeah, man, like, come on, man. <laughs> this is a <laughs> pretty fair. big deal. You know, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna take on a, such a beast of a subject that you gotta do with justice, in my opinion. Can't argue with that. Okay, great. Thanks so much for this. And I think next week we will try to cover. It's a book called Upstarts by Brad Stone. He's also Upstarts covers the life cycle of how it how the founders of Airbnb and Uber started the company the challenges they faced up to a couple of years ago and how everything went. He's also written, Brad Stone's also written the book, uh, The Everything Store, which is basically the same thing, but for Amazon. So okay. I, think, I think it'll be nice. Yeah. Rule number one, be rich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, n- not necessarily, but I not think... Not necessarily. But, it, but it, like, what we'll find out is it helps where you're starting your startup in the sense that you know, if you're working in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of money available, and that oh, yeah. really helps you take over the world much, much faster. But let's save it for next episode. Uh, that's it for me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening.